Check out award-winning Johnson & Boone Solicitor's unique product, Legal Guard. Ideal for businesses and individuals, Legal Guard ensures you get the legal help you need when you need it. Packages start from just £24 a month and include free expert advice, access to a library of legal documents, as well as exclusive discounts on a range of services. For more information, visit johnsonandboone.co.uk forward slash legal guard and quote the code FITCHESH. You're listening to Johnson & Boone Solicitors Podcast exclusively on the Pod Station. Welcome everyone to episode 38 of the Johnson & Boone Podcast. My name's Mark. Joining me this week is Rob Boone. How are we doing, Rob? Yeah, I'm very well, Mark. Yourself? I am very good, thank you. If you're listening to this show, you're probably wondering what it is that Johnson & Boone solicitors could possibly do in a podcast. Just to explain, uh, we take a topic each week that falls within the expertise of the Johnson & Boone team, uh, and we boil it down slightly, we break it down, we analyse certain elements of it to hopefully give you a better understanding of the problems you might face if that sort of a situation applies to you and in some instances it will hopefully arm you to either prevent or perhaps deal with the situation without it getting worse but in some instances we'll forewarn you that you are going to need to get some help and as we repeatedly say on this show if you get help at the right time it can be the difference between between paying a huge legal bill and just paying for some valuable expertise at the right time so if you want to check out some of the previous shows that we've done thus far, and there are 37 of them, you can go to the johnsonandboon.co.uk website. Uh, there is a tab for the podcast. You'll find them all there. You'll also find links to all of the platforms. Uh, we're on Google, Spotify, Apple, Deezer, Stitcher. So pretty much everywhere you can get a podcast, we are there. You can also check it out on YouTube as well. Um, listen to the show and if you've got any questions if you send an email to info at johnsonandboon.co.uk we can answer whatever questions ultimately you need answering um, you could also download the mobile app because you can listen to the podcasts on there and you can also book an appointment with one of the Johnson and Boone team through the app so it's on Apple and Android app stores it's absolutely free just type in Johnson and Boone into the search field and hey presto it will magically appear um, you can also send questions to us on the socials we're on Facebook Instagram LinkedIn and Twitter again just stick into Johnson and Boone and as I've already mentioned we're on YouTube where we're now posting the whole show we haven't yet stretched to showing a video of our faces uh, perhaps one day certainly post lockdown haircut we might be brave enough to do that but certainly for now we wouldn't put anyone through that um, now moving on to the topic for today Rob what is it that we're actually going to be covering what's going to be relevant to our listeners today 
what we're going back into today is the area of commercial leases and very specifically the the very complex area of forfeiture we're going to focus in on how a landlord is able to sometimes uh, unexpectedly unintentionally waive acts of forfeiture uh, and therefore no longer be able to forfeit a lease when they choose to do so now, if people want to go back and listen to episodes 33 and 34 of the show, we have an episode where Rob covers security of tenure and commercial tenants and goes through some of the things that you need to bear in mind when you enter into a lease, or if you're a landlord, some of the things that you might need to be aware of during the course of these sorts of tenancies. This is an element within that sort of subject matter. It is, and the reason why we're picking it up now is if you do go back and listen, then you'll find out that a lot of the restrictions in relation to forfeiture will be removed very shortly, uh, and therefore it is going to be a hot topic for this year. Uh, and as we'll go on to discuss today, it, it's something where mistakes are very easily made. And when you say forfeiture is going to be lifted, we're of course talking about the COVID-19 restrictions, I assume. We are. Um, as we discussed in an earlier show, a lot of restrictions were put in place to protect tenants. Those restrictions are about to run out uh, and the indication is they won't be extended any further. So later this year, we will see a, a raft of litigation in this area. Okay. Uh, so where do we start on this, this topic? Well, firstly, um, sometimes we say, don't we, in these shows that is, is this something you can do yourself? Or is this something which is too complicated? And this is a, a very, very complex area of law with a broad history of case law, uh, with cases as as, as as recent as earlier this year reaching the Court of Appeal. Um, this is therefore a very stripped back overview. And we stress that this is a stripped back overview. And if the facts were different in what we talk about today, then the answer could be very different. And it can turn on one letter or one communication between the parties. So. Uh, very, very strongly, it is a case of get advice uh, on, on each and every time. But this is an overview so you understand what you're getting advice in relation to. Yeah, in the green room before we pressed record, we were sort of going through some of the key points. And I think you explained that you'd written the script about three times because you had to keep on stripping it back and breaking it down to an even more basic explanation just so people can understand what the key points are and and then you can build from there. This is very much a, a taster session almost. It's a taster session. And, you know, there's no point in, in, in being overly complex. That's not the purpose of these shows, as we touch on. It's to give people a flavour and to understand how we can assist them uh, and how things can go wrong or, or how to protect themselves against things from uh, and, and making sure they go right. What, what we've decided for the purpose of today, in order to give it a bit of structure, is we'll work with some basic facts, and that allows to give things um, a, a, a nice rounded feel when we're, we're making our way through how this works. So what we're going to be talking about is we have to assume some facts, and those facts are that there's a commercial lease, and within that lease, there's an absolute ban on subletting. So they can't, the tenant's unable to let it to someone else in their place, is what that means. Um, we also assume that the landlord is entitled to forfeit the lease, therefore, if the tenant is in breach of that requirement. Um, we also then move on and assume that the tenant has sublet the property and therefore there is a breach. Um, and just for the sake of clarity, we are assuming that that breach is a once and for all breach. And what that means is it can't be rectified. So once it's been done, it's been done. It can't be undone. 
uh, and therefore the landlord has a right to forfeiture. Okay, so what's the first thing we need to understand? So the first thing to understand is that when a tenant commits a breach of this type, the landlord is put to what's known as election. So they have to either elect to forfeit the lease or they have to elect the continuation of the lease. Um, and that's really important because if he decides to forfeit the lease, then he has to proceed from that point forward as if the lease is to be forfeited. If he takes any steps to elect that the lease is continuing, then he may have waived his right of inf his right of forfeiture. Okay, so how would a landlord confirm whether he's forfeiting or ending the lease, or whether or not it's going to keep continuing almost as is the current situation? Okay, so we take the first one. If he, if he's going to forfeit the lease, then he takes steps either for a forfeiture notice. Uh, a claim into court or peaceful re-entry depending upon the, the type of lease but he wouldn't do anything that would be treating the lease as a continuing thing it was it is at an end as far as he's concerned specifically in relation to any future obligations uh, and we'll explain what we mean by that as we move forward um, if he was treating the lease as continuing then either he or his agents would maybe demand rent that then falls due for a further period, insurance rent, or anything else of that nature. Um, a request, you have to bear in mind that, let's say, for example, the rent for, for a quarter hasn't fallen due yet, and it falls due after the time that the breach has taken place, and after the time that he knows that the breach has taken place. If he asks for that rent, it can only possibly be consistent with the position that, in his view, he's accepting the lease is continuing for the next period. And you can already start to see the complications that go with this. Just to go back to a couple of the episodes that we've already mentioned, when we're talking about forfeiture, we're, we're talking about the ability for a landlord essentially to turf out the tenant. And it's very different from a commercial perspective to a, a residential one because there's a lot more protection for a resident. You can't just go in and shoehorn them out of the house as a process you have to follow whereas commercials a lot can be very much more black and white can't it yeah it can be and also you have to bear in mind that one of the complicating features here is that you have the landlord but you also have their agents and sometimes you have a number of their agents and an act or omission by an agent is an act or omission by the landlord as well and, and that's where things generally get messy uh, and cause the landlord's problems. And we've already mentioned that the COVID restrictions are going to start to be easing as the country, fingers crossed and touch wood, starts to come out of lockdown. But again, a lot of leases are paid for in quarterly periods, aren't they? And at the time of recording this, we're in March, which generally and traditionally tends to be sort of the first quarter end, doesn't it? And you sort of end up with sort of your Marches and your June periods. Yeah, you do. It's it's nearly always structured in a way that is is complicated, and that's why we affirm the the position that we say at the start, whereby it's so factually sensitive this this area of law, where the parties are, whether the forfeiture whether the forfeiture act has been waived or not, um, and and the consequences on the parties. So this is very much an, an overview. And you mentioned about a payment request, almost implying that the lease is going to continue even if that wasn't your intention in the first place. Um, is that always the case? No, it, it very much depends upon what that payment related to and when that payment fell due. So there's nothing 
generally speaking, stopping a landlord from chasing arrears or chasing amounts that fell due beforehand, it's future payments or it's payments that only fall due after the breach and very importantly, after the knowledge. Um, one of the things that we've shied away from today is going into too much detail in relation to case law. And for people that aren't familiar, case law is when the courts are in practice looking at these cases. Uh, senior courts make decisions and lower courts are then bound by those decisions. Um, and we're lucky enough to have some very intelligent judges on, on these areas, uh, especially at, at, at sort of court of appeal level, et cetera. Um, we mentioned before there was a recent case earlier this year, and that provides a really detailed breakdown in terms of how this works. Uh, and the judge really set out his, the reason, and in that case, in, in great detail. We've shied away, as I say, from going into too much detail in relation to that today, because we don't want listeners' eyes sort of glazing over, um, and it, it can be a bit overbearing. What what is useful to as a as a an over an overreaching position, if you like, on this is to if the breach occurs today, then the landlord's fine to chase anything. Um and 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 of course the landlord's aware of the breach today, because we'll come on to knowledge shortly. But the landlord's fine to chase anything which is historic, but it's payments that haven't fallen due yet. So if on the first of April um rent falls due at that stage. And on the 2nd of April, the landlord requests the rent. That's the continuation. So the, the, there's a continuation because we've moved into a new period. But if it's a situation where he's just chasing arrears or things that have already failed you, or even when it comes to issues which are even more complicated in relation to, say, insurance, when they were actually due or when they, uh, w whether it's the demand or whether it's the lease itself that makes them fall due, that all becomes much more complicated. It's very much about understanding the timeline in these situations, isn't it? It is. And one of the things that we will always do in great detail with a client when we're looking at this is we'll spend a long time going through and looking at the timeline and asking for correspondence and asking for emails. And we're looking for what the parties have done inadvertently or not. And we need an overall picture. And the devil really is in the detail when it comes to these cases. Um, and, and and that is why, you know, there are still cases reaching court of appeal stage. And knowledge was something you mentioned before and what the landlord may or may not have done and how that affects the timeline. Um, so do you want yeah. to just explain that? Yeah, of course. So when we're looking at the timeline, you know, there'll be a situation, um, let's say, for example, managing agents has, has came on to a client tenant and, and said that there's a forfeiture act but after that date after the our client believes that the landlord has acknowledged the continuation of that lease what we've got to look at is when did the landlord know of the breach because that's very important there's one thing that'd be in a breach but knowledge of the breach is very important and once we know the date of knowledge um and just to pause there and interrupt myself i'll say that knowledge can be of the agent as well so we'll just remind everyone of that point again. Um, if you're my agent, if you know something, I know it. it. It's as simple as that. So you might have situations where there's two agents. You know, there could be one for collecting ground rent. There could be another for collecting insurance rent. And they might be doing slightly different things. And you end up in a situation where the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. But unfortunately, both hands are owned by the landlord. Um, and, it, and it doesn't matter. So one of the things we'll always do is look at knowledge 
Um, there's actual knowledge and there's a, a presumption of knowledge, but actual knowledge really is what you're looking for for it to be helpful. Uh, and you determine from that point onwards, uh, was there an act that um, acknowledged the continuation of the lease? There may be some landlords here who are perhaps panicking slightly about their age, and it's very difficult to deal with the third party, and particularly if third parties, and you and I have both had experience of agents who were at whether it be managing agents or even estate agents or letting agents who don't understand the legal ramifications of some of their actions and so it's very easy for them potentially to put a right royal nail in the coffin so to speak in any plans for forfeiture now that could probably be an entirely separate episode in itself because then you're talking about a contractual arrangement between the landlord and the agent so it's not necessarily the end of the road for a landlord in terms of rectifying their position but i'm not trying to muddy the waters there i'm just sort of saying there is a a sub branch here isn't there that Perhaps landlords need to, to bear in mind if they're currently sitting there going, oh my God, what if, if my agents don't realise this? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's all sorts of issues. I mean, w- without going off on a tangent, and, and we won't uh, do so for the sake of, of staying on subject, there's lots of issues that arise and there's lots of things that shouldn't be done in these issues. So in, in terms of these issues, such as um, the tendency for people to engage in without prejudice correspondence, they are not suitable in, in this sort of situation. Um, but it is a very expert field. And, and whether that be agents trying to deal with things, whether that be landlords trying to deal with things, whether that be solicitors who maybe don't specialise in this area trying to deal with things, um, it, it's very, very easy for problems to arise. Um, and it, it's very important that we, we say as well that once an act of forfeiture is being waived, that's a final decision on behalf of the landlord. They can't go back. And 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 does that does that waiving of the forfeiture does that extend for the whole life of the the lease or just for that period? Just for the breach. So for the breach which has been waived. So if there's ah. another breach, and sometimes you know, as I said at the start, we're talking about a once and for all breach here. Um, landlords need to take real care when they're serving um, a notice in relation to a breach as to. If there are previous breaches that they want to not waive, they should all be included in in uh, what they're doing. So you can see how they can very, very, very easily lose the ability to forfeit. And depending upon the situation, it might be critical for the landlord that they're able to forfeit the lease in, in any particular case. Um, but equally for a tenant, you know, if they're in a really difficult spot and they want to defend their position, um, then it's, it's money well spent getting good, accurate advice and taking the time to look at this carefully to see if there's a way out and to see if they can retain the lease and, and move things forward. Presumably that's probably advice for both sides if either a breach occurs or either side, whether it be a landlord or a tenant, is worried about whether a breach has occurred that may address or deal with or affect the forfeiture element. Yeah, the most important thing to do when when something like this arises is stop, do nothing else, and get legal advice. Because if you're an agent, uh, a single correspondence, you could ruin it for the landlord. If you're the landlord, you could ruin it for yourself. Um, if 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 you're a tenant, you could get yourself into further difficulties, albeit less so. Um, so it, it, it is a case of pause. It is a case of get advice. 
Um, and obviously, you know, you don't have to follow that advice, but at least you understand where you are and you can make an educated decision on, on what you want to do next. And what about if you're worried about your agent? And that's not necessarily to say your agent's generally doing a bad job, but we've just gone through there some really, com- well, we've really gone through there the very tip of an iceberg of complex legal positioning. And there is a real risk that your agents won't be aware of even a fraction of what it is that we've discussed today as opposed to even the nitty-gritty detail. Because at the end of the day, they're there to help you manage the property and do certain things. They're not trained lawyers like you. No, that's right. And there is only so much you can do. So agents should be familiar with the general principles. So the sort of stuff that we're talking about today, they should know the tip of the iceberg stuff, the the absolute no's, the absolute must nots. But importantly, when they come across something, anything that relates to a potential act of forfeiture, they should be reporting back to the landlord. And it's very important that the landlord sets down these ground rules. Um, and maybe, you know, it's reflected in whatever retainer is in place between the parties. It's also important in my view that they keep the structure as simple as possible. So as I said before, you do generally very often see more than one agent involved. Well, the more agents that are involved, the more potential for one agent not to understand what's happening. And you will see situations where one agent is following all the rules. One agent knows that nothing should be done to uh, acknowledge the continuation. The landlord's aware that nothing should be done, but no one's told the other agent that there's even an act of forfeiture and they might only be on the peripheries, but they are an agent. Uh, and, And nevertheless, they will still depending on what they do and, and, and depending on how they're involved, out of sheer unluckiness, um, they can waive the act of forfeiture or, you know, they can ride the waves of luck and, and be absolutely fine. But it's, it, it can be an expensive risk for you to be taken. So keeping that structure nice and straightforward is, is vital. How would you deal with that situation? Would you pick up the phone to your agent and ask them some questions on this topic or...? I mean, how do you how do you get that peace of mind as a landlord to make sure that you know that they're not going to basically remove a, possibly a really valuable step? Would you suggest that they perhaps get in touch with you, but then will the agent send you the bill for getting the advice? How, how, how would you suggest landlords try and address the concerns that they might have? I think in the first instance, you know, a very general discussion with your agent just to make sure that they understand this area fully and and that they're not dabbling, if you like. There's a lot of very good agents out there who have really good knowledge in this area. And whilst you're right, they may not be lawyers. Um, They don't necessarily need to be to understand the bits that they need to understand. Um, The important thing is to have a mechanism in place so that it is agreed that as soon as certain triggers happen, the landlord will be informed and maybe it's even agreed which firm, who, how, when, who will pay, etc. It, it gets passed on to and, and promptly. Um, but that isn't something they have to do. It very much depends upon your appetite for risk. And if if you're a landlord with no particular desire to forfeit the lease, you're happy with your tenant generally. Um, and, you know, whatever it is, is is in breach but you know it perhaps isn't something that you're going to want to terminate uh, or forfeit the lease off the back of then you'll be more relaxed um in those situations and again without sort of going off on another tangent 
if there is a breach of the lease and it's something that you are going to accept, subletting being a, a really classic example, then there should be a deed of variation and you should tidy that up so as that moving forward, it is a regulated situation um, that the lease is in certain circumstances able to be um, sublet. And then your agent should be informed, obviously, of the updated position and you will need legal advice and, and assistance to make sure all that's done and registered correctly. You talk then about the mechanisms of kicking in to get the advice. What sort of structure does the advice take? So if if you believe that there has been a breach or if you can get a general feeling that, that there might be a problem on the horizon, how does that process look in terms of getting hold of you? What we do is we'd always start with an initial consultation and we'd have a fact-finding exercise before we've even looked at any documents in relation to this so that we can understand the story and how the client sees it, whether that be the landlord or whether that be the, the tenant. Um, and we guide them through the history that we've spoken about to so the timeline. We get the timeline in place of what the breach is and when certain things happened. And then we ask them, obviously, for a copy of the lease, because that's very important for us to see the lease and to see the obligations. But even more important in relation to this area, we ask them for all of the communications, every single communication between the parties, if they're in writing. If telephone discussions have taken place, then whilst less helpful, when did they take place? Who with? Can they remember key facts? Were they acknowledged in any way in, in further communications? And as we said before, it, it really is a matter of the detail. And then once we've got that, we'll refer back to the case law. Um, we'll, we'll double check if we're satisfied that the relevant boxes are ticked and we'll provide the advice. And in some really complex cases, uh, we might even recommend that some input from counsel is, is taken. And we are lucky enough to, to work very closely with um, a barrister who was involved in one of the, the recent leading cases in this area. You can see why it gets very complicated very quickly. I mean, certainly when you're trying to piece together the timeline and you're dealing with communications, there's that many ways in which people can get hold of one another trying to put that together or the WhatsApp tech messages, telephone calls, emails and the rest of it. Um, it's a very precise process that you have to go through. It's a precise process, but we're not expecting people to know what we need. So we'll guide them through exactly what we need and we'll guide them through what that might look like even when like the likelihood is that would have came and and those people have got to do the the great thing with with the modern day is many things are emailed and even if you delete your emails they're probably in your deleted so when you go back you can generally find a pretty good timeline and if you're having an email communication with people often it's on one line of communication so you press print on an email and if you've sent me 100 emails they're probably all there um, there might be a bit of duplication when you print them off, but they're all going to be there. W when it comes to letters, you know, that's very important as well, because where have those been letters sent and when have they been sent and who by have they been sent? So we'll, we'll go through a whole um, a whole process of discovery because the the tenant, for example, might not even understand at first that there's there's three parties. And when I say three parties, there's potentially the two agents and the landlord. Um they might only be trying to focus in on communications from the landlord, which if there's agents involved will be very few and far between or potentially nil. Um, it, they might not even realize that when things are coming over, they're coming from two agents and, and they might not even uh, understand, for example, what demands are or, or all that sort of stuff. So the advice is very wide reaching that we'll give, um, but it's something we do regularly. So it's something that we're very good at extracting the right information out so that we can get to a position 
whereby either um, we can do something about it or, or we can't. Brilliant. And that, if people do need to get in touch, how can they? All the usual ways. So um, easiest way is to obviously give us a call at the office, uh, 0151 637 2034. They can drop us an email to info at uk. They could download our app uh, and book an appointment in uh, using the facility we've got on there. Look us up on any of the major social media platforms. Uh, you listed before, we're on Facebook, LinkedIn, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Um, or they could, on our website, leave us a message via the messaging tab. Brilliant. Well, hopefully you found that taster session. We emphasise taster because obviously it's, it's a very subjective topic and timeline, I guess. So hopefully you found that really useful. Uh, if you've got any questions, get in touch. Um, if you've enjoyed the show, if you found it helpful, give us a review using the platform you're, you're listening to this show on. It's massively appreciated. It gives us some uh, constructive feedback. And hopefully we'll get the show seen to a wider audience. And hopefully we can help those people as well. Um, check us out on social media. As I say, there's there's lots of stuff that goes on there. Um Rob, thank you very much for your help today. That's that's been another brain twizzler. Um, I feel I feel like I need to go and have a lie down now. Hopefully not too much. We've tried to keep it as simple as we can, but hopefully it was helpful. No, brilliant. Well, thanks for joining me today, guys. Hopefully you've enjoyed it, and we will catch you next time. Bye now. Get social at Johnson and Boone on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.